0: Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. All right, here we go. Brand new Flyers Daily for Wednesday, June 15th. As the coaching search continues, the first name is off the board. Bruce Cassidy will be the next head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. And uh, we'll see if this starts to move things along. Bill Meltzer will join us in just a moment before we get to Bill. Uh, I want to send congratulations out to another Bill and also Al Morgani. Bill Clement and Al Morgani. Are being announced to, uh, to head into the Hockey Hall of Fame in the 2022 class. Honorees for the Foster Hewitt Memorial Award and the Elmer Ferguson Memorial Award. Of course, Bill Clement did Flyers games for a former player, well, cup winner here, and also uh, was a broadcaster for many, many years. One of the best national broadcaster, local broadcaster, one of the great guys, one of the guys that, and working with him and watching the way he prepared for every single broadcast. Uh, was very telling to me. And then uh, Al Morgani, who I worked with in radio at WIP for many years as well, and uh, got to know, and uh, congrats to him and uh, a good hockey guy, and of course covered the game uh, from a writing perspective initially, and then worked for ESPN uh, back in the 90s. And uh, he had the mullet going back then, Hockey Al, and uh, has been doing the games locally on uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia, pre and post game live. Good hockey mind as well. So congrats to both of those two uh, good hockey men. Uh, Stick taps to you guys and uh, enjoy the induction into the Hockey Hall of Fame. What a great honor it is for both of those guys. What a great honor it is to have once again here. We had him on Monday and we have him once again here uh, amidst the breaking news that Bruce Cassidy's the new head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights from PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. It is Bill Meltzer. Bill, how are you doing?
1: How are you feeling
0: now? I think I'm ready to skate my shift again. Tap me back (laughs) in. Put me between the pipes. I think I can get some work done. I'm feeling a lot better. Thank you. Um, But we do have the first shoe to drop uh, with the coaching search, and we're hoping that as of taping this, things don't change rather quickly. Bruce Cassidy is the new head coach of the Las Vegas Golden Knights. But in your opinion, Bill, is this – Kind of uh, maybe one of those moves that can get things moving, if you will, pardon the pun.
1: Yeah, well, In the Cassidy is a quality head coach and was one of the bigger names who became available, although he became available pretty late in the game. You know, Boston took a long time to decide that they were letting him go. Um, I, I honestly, I think that things will things really won't start moving until there's clarity in Barry Trotz, um, unless. You know, um, unless Trotz has informed some teams that they're out of the running and they can go ahead with, you know, whatever hiring they were made. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's likely that that, uh, Vegas was in touch with Trotz at some point and they weren't in the running. And, you know, I mean, Cassidy, we talked about him, you know, when Boston didn't renew him. I mean, he's a quality head coach with a – had a very good track record overall in Boston, so – you know that that uh, they were able to go forward. So I think that, I think that as, as other teams that may be in on, on Barry Trotz, you know, learn that okay, I'm, you know, you're not on the list of final list of three teams, two teams, however many teams he's, you know, are on his short list. Then I think you may see some other shoes drop. But I think, I think with the Flyers until they know one way or another, um, and it, and it just all all the tea leaves kind of look that way anyway, um. You know, I mean, the two names you keep hearing, of course, are, are Barry Trotz and John Tortorella. Um, I, I think they want to know one way or another. You know, is are they are they still in or are they out? Right? And if they're out, then then I think then the Flyers may go ahead make the announcement. Most likely, John Tortorella, or you know, maybe throw everybody a curve. I mean, you hear you hear Peter DeBoer's name out there a little bit too, but it, it still seems most likely that would be the direction they would go. Um, you know that the been a lot of people reporting that, you know, that that's how they're looking at going. Um and the Trotz thing,
0: nothing is done until it's done. So you, yeah, that's that, why that. you don't just go ahead and announce because if exactly. he's your number one choice, you never know. Things can always fall apart in any negotiation at any point. So and and he's got a bit of a complicated negotiation here, Bill. And I want to ask you about this because it's a it's a weird situation in the sense that it's been widely reported that he wants to transition into front office. I don't know that that necessarily means he wants to be a general manager right away because I don't know that you go right from the bench to yeah. a general manager with the complications of today's game and salary cap and everything else. Although you can have guys working for you that handle that part, but it is a bit of a dicey proposition when you're trying to land a job with a team or you're interviewing with a team or the inter- you know, you're interviewing a team in this case, maybe, and you also – I have an aspiration maybe to take the guy's job that is doing the interviewing. Um, Yeah. You know, there's a lot of security that a guy has to have to say, I could take that on because Hey, maybe I'll elevate to a presidential role or something like that. Uh, At that point, when you're ready to transition and it also begs the question, if I always say this about players, the moment a player starts thinking about retired, he's retired because you're not willing to do what it takes. And if a guy's worrying about moving into front office after coaching, is that a bit of a red flag for you as well? A lot to unpack there. Sorry.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's potentially a red flag, Jason. You know, I, you know, and also, too, how open ended is it, right? It's like, you know, we'll, we'll give it two years and then we'll, we'll talk about it. I don't want to coach more than three years and I want to be, uh, I don't know, you know, but it is, it is a, it is a bit of a red flag, but although, although sometimes, you know, sometimes, some players seem, you know, from on the player side, it seems like they're mulling retirement frequently, and they end up playing however many more years. How many, you know? And, and mind you, mind you, that this there's extenuating circumstances here, so it may not be the best example. But how many times did Mario Lemieux retire and then unretire? Yeah, you know, and was still a great player whenever he'd come back. Yeah. Right, he could come back so, today and still be great. <laughs> yeah, he could, he could. I mean, that's uh, a yeah, maybe, maybe not the best example, but uh, but just just a guy who was a you know, just the guy who excelled and, you know, excelled at what he did and, you know, was able to jump back into it. So, you know, and and there's even some, you know, there's even some speculation does, does Barry Trotz want to take a year off? Although if he wanted to do that, I, I think he would have told, the, I think he would have done that already, you know?
0: Yeah. And, he, so, and because he was fired too, he would still have his contract yeah. coming in. So it's not like he, he needs the money, you know? Everybody likes yeah. to make money and he stands to gain a raise, obviously, because he's the, the biggest name and most sought after coach out there. Once again, probably going back since the last time he was out there uh, when his uh, he finished up his tenure after winning the cup with the Washington Capitals and went to the Islanders. Joe Quenville was another big name that was out there and uh, commanded a lot of attention as well. But, but as far as Chuck Fletcher and kind of having those conversations about moving into management, um, this is rare. We don't hear this about coaches very often. Uh, how do you kind of is, – is that a complication that could slow down this process, you know, not with just one team but obviously multiple teams because I imagine the same ask is being asked of all.
1: Yeah, and, and it, I think it certainly could, you know, because it's – you know, getting involved with management, it, it, it's a pretty nebulous, you know. <laughs> well, management can can tell a lot of different things, right? Um you know, does he said is his is his ambition to be a general manager? Because he said you're interviewing with a guy you might be trying to replace. Is he, uh, you know, looking more to for for say and and player personnel, right? It, you know, being being more towards that end of things. That's not the usual path. I mean, you know, it, it's uh, I, I I don't really know what it entails, truthfully. Um, you know, is it? Uh, you know, is it some kind of a role where you know almost almost like Danny Briere's role, right? Where, uh, where Briere is a special assistant to the general manager, but in Danny's case, you know, where he's young enough to be training towards, probably eventually becoming a general manager somewhere, whether it's Philadelphia or someplace else. You know, in Barry Trotz's case, he's about to turn sixty, so it, it wouldn't be a, you know, it wouldn't be a a long. <laughs> you wouldn't think it could be a long process, or he's Special assistant to the general manager, maybe he gets a title to, you know, assistant general manager, and then there's a GM somewhere. Um, you know, with Barry Trotz. I think whatever destination he has in mind in terms of management, that would that would be, you know, that would be whenever he would decide that, you know, what I, I don't, I don't want to travel, I don't want to coach, I don't, you know, whatever, whatever his impetus may be. I mean, it's hard because it's it's so opaque here. So yeah. You know, um, And it's
0: presumed at this point because it's been reported, but we don't know yes. if that is, in fact, Correct. totally accurate. You know, the other Correct. thing, Bill, and, and you just brought it up, you know, the first part of that is, you know, we've seen guys go from the bench to the front office and be very successful. Look at Pat Quinn. I mean, you've yes. seen a lot of guys do exactly that um, throughout the, the history of this game. But the travel is one thing that I brought up on Twitter because there is an advantage the Flyers have – Over teams like Winnipeg or Dallas or Detroit, it's the fact that they're located where they are located geographically. And Chris Pronger, I I put the you know retweeted out what he had tweeted out a while back when he was talking about what it was like to be a player and travel, and said that you know playing in Philadelphia and the travel as the byproduct was so much easier than it is for teams in the West. You get home, you're oftentimes your head's on your pillow by one a.m. In the West, you're getting home at 4 or 5.30 in the morning. And the compounding effect of an 82-8 shell game schedule is great. The Flyers, they bus it to New York or New Jersey most often. They take a train to D.C. So you have three opponents in the Devils and the Islanders and the Rangers. It's all a bus trip.
1: Yeah, you know? right? And you fly to Pittsburgh, it's a super short flight. So Yeah, a
0: 20-minute flight. I mean, two-hour flight to Florida, Carolina, Boston. Mm-hmm. It's all close. It's you know, your head's on your own pillow quite a bit yeah. and for a guy that seems to be thinking about maybe transitioning into management. That speaks to me a little bit about the grind of being a coach and the grind is far less here than it is in Winnipeg.
1: Sure. And and if you talk to people who've been NHL head coaches and they've taken time off or whatever, done some broadcasting work, maybe, you know, maybe done a little bit of scouting or whatever, but you know, a big part of a big part of, especially in today's, especially in today's game, so much of what a coach does is, you know, you don't just coach the game and go home and go to sleep and show up for practice the next morning. No, doesn't work like you're that. You're going home. No, you're going home and you're you're rewatching the game. You're watching film, right? You're preparing. You know, you're mapping out your next practice. If if you have a practice, stay available. You know, okay, what do we need to work on here? I mean practices don't happen willy-nilly they they are especially especially because there's just so much emphasis and so little practice time you have to get the most out of every practice that you get right so yeah. you have to really think proactively so you know it's really a 24-7 job for a lot of coaches yeah and I,
0: I, I talked about this with colin thompson mm-hmm. who on his podcast the not for long podcast he's a he plays for the uh carolina uh, panthers in the nfl temple product and a big fan of Flyers Daily and a big Flyers fan. I was talking to him on his podcast. A a coach's job as much as to manage everyone's energy and emotion through a season. I, I look at the teams that go far in the playoffs and I always go, that coach did a good job managing his people, right? That's a huge part of it. And as I reached out to some former players and coaches to kind of ask about that travel aspect of it, guys that have both been here in the East coast and played or coached with the Flyers or, played and did so in a Western or central time zone. One of the guys said to me, the, the travel out West is tough. Take it into consideration too. It's also the Canadian border as well, dealing with that being where Winnipeg is, and then also dealing with the border and customs that delays things even further for those teams. So even more difficult.
1: Yeah. I mean, that, that they are, they're one of the teams that does, it does the most travel. I mean, and just the way the divisions are drawn too. you may, you may be playing a divisional game. That's, a lot more travel than the flyers would have even to you know even to Carolina for example, Carolina's you know pretty short flight, so yeah. it's uh you know whereas i and that's absolutely the case you you hear of the players that have played on the west coast i mean yeah, you have the you know you have several california based teams but you're also going up to vancouver you're go you're going up to to Calgary, you're going to Edmonton sometimes depending on depending how the you know how the division have been situated at a, at a given time it's a grind and um absolutely a big part of it is managing people's energy, including your own too yeah you know, absolutely uh, yeah you know i mean you know the the burnout the, the burnout can be very real for coaches where it's uh you know they <laughs> i mean they, they they have to look at the x and o side of it they have to they work with their stabs, so you know they they rely on those guys too, and it's uh you know i mean it, it, not a you know, not every coaching staff is created equal either um you know i uh, ideally you know ideally it's a staff that gets along and works well together you know sometimes sometimes you hear about uh, okay well the general manager um you know kind of thrust this assistant coach on on uh you know on the guy who's the head guy i mean that, that hasn't been the case recently with the flyers the staffs of even when even when it's you know the GM has decided, or whatever. The staff have seemed to be pretty cohesive. Yeah. But I, I've known oh, some oh, staffs man. that have been anything but cohesive. Where there's been mistrust, where there's feeling, where there's feelings that uh, you know one of your one of your assistants might be trying to undermine you. He's got an eye on your job. That's you know, it's, it's a it's a it's a tough it's a tough business. You know, yeah. we we talked about how there's only now 32, 32 of those jobs. You know, and you know, and 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 it could be a you know a topic for another time, but historically, you know, I can think of one situation in Philadelphia, um, you know, I mean, it was, it was far Farwell was a general manager and uh, you know, Paul Hongrum was the coach and uh, you know, the, the assistants who were brought in. One of the assistants was a good assistant in terms of being supportive of the head coach. And there was a feeling that the other assistant was after his job and he eventually became an NHL head coach and a successful one. Um, but it's you know that that's tough. that's a tough road to hoe, right? Where if yeah. you're you know, because you know, in, in some you know, it's also too because the assistants are the liaison between the player and the the head coach, so and you and have messaging a
0: good, has to be consistent,
1: it has to be consistent, right? Yeah. And that's uh, you know, and the guys a lot of times would go on to be good head coaches. You know, okay. look, look at the way that John Tortorella helped Mike Sullivan along, yeah. right? And Sullivan, I mean, it, it's really. I think, I think that's a really thing too. When you see teams that are cohesive and the, the messaging is consistent, whatever it shows in everything that they do. Yeah. You know, and um, you know, I, I think that that's, that's a big part of the equation too. But when you don't have that, I think that adds to the, that adds to the, to the wear down effect into the grind of it all. And so it's, uh, you know, I, I think that, um, I think that plays into a little bit too. Now, now in, in, I think anyone who the Flyers would hire, you know, there'd be trust that they would have significance to say in their own staff. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, but it's just, it's just, you know, just another, another piece of the puzzle.
0: Last thing for you. I read your piece that you wrote on NHL.com about trots and about Tortorella. And those are obviously the two big names. I'd be fine with either of them. As you know, uh, we've talked about that part ad nauseum. Yeah. So I read your piece and I thought it was really interesting because you really laid everything out in regards to John Tortorella. And I put this tweet out the other day that the average NHL coaching tenure is a median of 2.4 years. Tortorella coached 1,383 games for four different teams, an average of 4.21 seasons per team. This is per 82. If you remove the one season, the outlier for him in Vancouver, and then he averages a tenure, average tenure between Tampa, the Rangers, and Columbus of 5.62 years of tenure. You laid all these facts out in your piece. And then as I go down and I read the comments, the first thing people say is he's going to burn out fast. Right. I, I don't know how else to say it. He, yeah, he's a guy that burns hot. He's a guy that runs on a lot of adrenaline in the media and, and outward facing. But he is not a guy. These are the facts that has burned out fast anywhere he's been. And he hasn't burned out his staffs fast, his organization's. And most importantly, his players.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's had guys who've stayed with him for, for the long haul. I mean, there are, there are people who just don't click with them. You can say it with any coach, right? they'll click with them. And then that guy moves on or, or, you know, whatever, whatever, whether it's a stylistic fit, whether it's a personality clash or whatever, I mean, you know, there are, there are going to be some bumps in the road. I, I, you know, but the, the thing is that he sticks it out and, you know, I mean, I, I can't, I can't identify really too many players. Maybe, a, maybe a couple guys early on in Tampa, who uh, you know he wasn't established yet, who chafed under his style yeah. and it just wasn't a and great. I, and I who
0: Sean Avery did in, in New York with the Rangers, right? right.
1: But, but I mean, Avery was a schmuck, right? Yeah, and uh, but it, you know, but for the most part, most players, even guys, you think he wouldn't necessarily work well with? I mean, you know, even even look at like like uh, you know, Dubois, right? They didn't have a very good coach player relationship, but he walked away, Dubois said, "You know what? I have nothing but respect for Torts. Yep. It wasn't like I couldn't play for him. You know, I mean, it it, it ended, it, you know, it ended with respect. So, you know, and he had nothing to lose at that point. You know, yeah. when when Tortorell was out the door in New York and out the door in Columbus, that was the chance for guys to rip him. Nobody did nobody right? did so yeah reverse, did. yeah
0: again he far exceeds the nhl average tenure of 2.4 years with basically almost double fi- more than double 5.2 years in those three stays you want to put them you want to put the winnipeg one in or the, excuse me vancouver i'm fine with that he still far has outweighed it anywhere else and that was a one and done in vancouver a full 82 games and uh, he melted down, knew he needed a reset and to recalibrate the way he did things and did that and came back had a real good run in Columbus as well under some pretty trying circumstances, losing a lot of big players there uh, due to the market and, and such, but uh, he stuck it out. So, Bill, thanks for doing this. Uh, late duty. As things evolve, we'll keep everybody updated here on the podcast. And uh, check out Bill's work on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. And we'll talk to you Friday unless news breaks right here on a brand new episode of Flyers Daily.